there was a little boy with a pretty dark future. He was cared for. He had a, a little bit of food. He had a little bit of shelter. He had some care. But in comparison to what could be, it was pretty dark. This boy needed a family. He needed a forever family that could be there through thick and thin and give him what he really, truly needed. And there was a plan put into place, thank God, before this boy was even born. A plan from a man who wanted to grow his family. A man who was born 7,000 miles away from this little boy. He was from a different nation. He had a different language, a different skin color. He was from a different millennia. Because that little boy was adopted on March the 10th, 1995, and that little boy was me. I was added to the family of Christ. I was added and adopted into his family. I'm not an orphan like you would traditionally think of an orphan, but I was an orphan in terms of I needed a forever family with my father in heaven. And as we in the adoption world refer to these days, we call these gotcha days. And this goofy-looking kid at 10 years old, that's my gotcha day. And the story that I want to share with you today would not have happened had it not been for the adoption that I received in Jesus Christ. And the story that has meant so much to Mandy and I and has changed our lives in such huge ways with our little boy Shepherd would never have happened had we not come to understand what happened to me and what happened to Mandy when we were adopted into a heavenly family. There's a lot of parallels, as you've already seen. Shepard had a dark future ahead of him. I'll share some of that with you today, and I want to share some of my story, and I want to share some of Shepard's story. We don't have time to get into it all, but he had a dark future ahead. Let's just say that. He had a little bit of food, a little bit of shelter, a little bit of care, but it was nothing like a forever family could be to him. This man and his wife wanted to grow their family. We spoke a different language. We had a different skin color. And we were 8,200 miles away from Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, where Shepherd was born. So I want to share this story with you, and I want to share our adoption story with you today. And I thank you, Richard, for saying, please don't put this story on a pedestal. This is not about us saying, look at what we did. This is about saying, look at what God did for me. The adoption that we had in Shepherd has helped educate me and helped me better appreciate the adoption that I have through Christ Jesus and vice versa. It's fit so well, and I've been able to understand the love of Christ much more than I ever did before, and I praise God for that. And I hope as we share this story with you today, you'll be able to do the same thing. That is my whole point. And this is not a unique story. We're not the first Christian family to have adopted. This has been something all throughout history. You've seen adoptions of orphans with a dark future. You even look in this building and there's folks who have adopted as well. And I'd love for you to talk to the Gages or the Rays and find out more about their story as well. And I wish we could share them all today. We're actually working on a Pew just a little announcement for, uh, for upcoming. Nick and I are going to work on doing that so that you can hear some of our stories together. But I really appreciate the leadership for asking me to share this. It's something that has truly transformed me. It's something that's truly changed my heart. And it's helped me see God in a better way than I ever did before. And this story isn't just about those who have adopted physically and literally. There are step-parents 
who have taken on a child that wasn't biologically their own. There are grandparents, there are in-laws, there are mentors, there are friends. Anyone who takes an outsider and makes them part of their family, this story is about that today. And I hope that you'll all be able to see this. We've talked a lot about the example of Jesus healing the blind man and how it didn't quite take all at once. Jared mentioned that several months ago, and Grady even mentioned it last week, about how he had to spit in the mud and rub it again because people were like trees. And I feel like there's been multiple times that those layers and scales have been rubbed off my eyes. And I hope that it doesn't take as long for many others to see the beautiful story of adoption that it took me. So I appreciate you all and and indulging me for a minute today. I hope I can get through this. Boy, that was (laughs) something to sit down there with those little kids and think about this story. So I'm going to try to hold it together as best I can, but y'all forgive me if if I can't. This has been a gradual story. Mandy and I started our adoption process about five or six years ago, so before we even knew many of you all. Um, And I really hope that this portion of Shepherd's story will have an impact on you today. So I'll tell you a little bit. Again, we don't have time to go into it all. But uh, we started this idea five, six years ago, um, and it really started with a cousin of mine who married an evangelist that I was pretty close to at the time. His name was Jason. And he and my cousin Kate adopted a couple of kids from Taiwan. And some of you, some, a few people in the audience know him, but it got a little almost annoying how he started talking about it. It was on Facebook, it was in his lessons, he was in your face over and over again about adoption, and, and this is the way that God has adopted us, and people in the church should be adopting more, and it just, it was a little overbearing from time to time, to be honest. But regardless of some of the annoyingness of it, some of that started to stick, And I started hearing the scriptures that Jason would read. I started hearing his story and the parallels to the adoption of Jesus Christ of each and every one of us. And it started to say, well, maybe this is something we could do someday. But I'm a finance guy. I think about money probably more than I should. And the cost is crazy. And I thought, well, maybe someday if my business grows, I can can maybe someday do that. Mandy and I got married a few, uh, not too long after that. We talked about it from time to time, and it was kind of put as a plan B in the back burner, like so many times it would be. But we kept hearing Jason talk, and it got less annoying, to be honest. And he talked about the sobering statistics of the orphan epidemic today and the war that Satan has had on the most vulnerable, and that including that would include orphans that are still here today. And then Mandy and I, in 2012, went to Costa Rica, and we actually got to experience some of those little orphans firsthand. And it got real then, as we saw some of the situations that people in this world have to live in. And we decided, maybe this shouldn't be a plan B. Maybe this should be our first plan to have a child. Things didn't quite work out that way. As you know, Jesse was born, and then uh, Shepard came along last year. But regardless, that became our plan A for having a child. And as we got ingrained, we started reading uh, literature, we started studying more about God's adoption of us, we started listening to some of the adoption community, which is an amazing group of people if you've never met uh, adopting parents, and it just really started to make a lot more sense. And right about that time, and if you don't know me well, I come from an extremely, extremely conservative background uh, uh, with my, my family, and there's this thing about you don't add to the gospel in any certain way whatsoever. And my cousin, uh, Jason, 
mentioned something at a pivotal point, I think, in my transformation here. He said, adoption is the gospel. And that just, whoa, okay, that's borderline blasphemous. You can't add anything to the gospel. That's set in stone. It's something you can do on five fingers, right, for those of you who uh, might know that history. But he started telling me a little bit more about the scriptures that, like Richard read this morning, or he started talking about the example of how we were adopted, and it just started to make some sense to us. And so I want to share some of those scriptures with you today as well from Romans 8 and verse 14 through 17. If you want to turn with me there, if you can't see the screen, Romans 8, 14 through 17 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery leading again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry, Abba, Father, or Daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness to our spirit that we are God's children. And if children, then we're heirs, namely heirs of God and also fellow heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so we may also be glorified with him. And very similar in Galatians 4, which I thank Richard for reading earlier. There was a part in there, I won't go through all of it, but there towards the middle of the screen, just as it said we are co-heirs with Christ, we have been given full rights of a perfect man of Jesus Christ. How amazing is that? How unbelievable is it that we have been considered heirs when we were not born as biological children into the promised group, into the right family? There's an heirship in the lineage of God that is so amazing, so beyond any royalty on this earth, and we've been given way beyond that as co-heirs with Jesus Christ with full rights. Ephesians 1, 3 through 11 really sealed it for me. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ, for he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world, that we may be holy and unblemished in his sight and love. He did this by predestining us to adoption as his sons through Jesus Christ, according to the pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace that he has freely bestowed on us in his dearly loved son. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He did this when he revealed to us the secret of his will according to the good pleasure that he set forth in Christ. The things in heaven and the things on earth in Christ, we too have been claimed as God's own possession. This is all gospel language, and adoption is right smack dab in every little bit of it. This has been God's plan and his will that he has had predestined before the start of the world. God wanted to take a bunch of outsiders and make them his family. It's an amazing, God is like a serial adopter. He wants to bring the outsider, the underdog, into the lineage of his own kingdom how amazing that is. And it doesn't take long as you look through Old and New Testament scriptures and see what kind of language God uses around orphans. First of all, there's several, pla several places that I've thrown some scripture up here on. God is one who lifts up and delivers the fatherless. He will justly treat the orphan. He will hear their cry. He is a father to the fatherless. Again, I say he's a serial adopter. It's something God is all about, bringing outsiders in. Think of Ruth, think of Rahab, think of Moses. All of these situations came from someone who was an outcast, not in the family, not in the right group, and had been added to an important part of the story of God. 
And when it really clicked with me is he has expectations for his people to have the same heart. He says, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves. And when you learn about orphans, they're about the most underspoken for group of people on this planet. They have no one to advocate for them in many cases. You must not afflict any orphan whatsoever. You must help the orphan. And then the deal clincher for me, James 1.27, I call it my mic drop verse for this topic. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to care for orphans and widows and their misfortune and to keep oneself unstained by the world. If you want a simple description of what God wants for pure religion, caring for orphans is one of the top three. And this verse just couldn't get out of my head. And that annoying cousin of mine wasn't so annoying anymore. He helped change my life. God is a God of adoption. The gospel is all about adoption. And adoption, if done in Jesus' name, is all about the gospel, folks. And it's so amazing to consider that and to consider the airship we have received through the adoption that we have been given. But just as passionate and just as um, far-reaching as God is, to adopt the outsider, to bring the fatherless and to give them a father, our enemy is every bit as opposite. He has a war on the innocent. We talk about in Peter that the devil's a roaring lion going about seeking whom he may devour. And if you, if you look at a, a nature video of what a lion does when he's hunting a, a pride of gazelle or antelope, who does he more often than not go after? It's not the big stag. It's not the one in a group. He goes after the straggler who's left behind, the one who doesn't have support, the one that doesn't have family protecting them. The devil uses the same tactics on humanity, I believe. The demonic powers hate babies because they hate Jesus. They know the human race is saved, and they're vanquished. Those demonic powers and Satan himself is vanquished by a woman giving birth and they're doing their best to destroy blessings in that picture of new life, I believe. And if you look through history, whether it's Old Testament or just human history, there is a constant of Satan's war on children. And it's heartbreaking when you realize it and how much we don't talk about this. Infanticide, a word we very rarely use, which is typically killing children very young uh, and early in life, is estimated to have taken 10 to 15 percent of the world's population throughout time. And that doesn't include abortions. It shouldn't come as any surprise that Christians, as a people group, were one of the first groups to actually stand up for orphans. They created, in many cases, some of the first orphanages. The term godparent is thought to have come from folks who were actually discarding their children in the desert in uh, Roman times, and these early Christians would go out and save these babies and raise them as their own. That's obviously changed a bit over time, but uh, many believe that's actually how the term was coined. But this isn't just history. This isn't just Old Testament. This isn't just a battle that has been waged in times past. 153 million children today are orphans all over this planet. 5,700 kids become orphans every single day. Every 15 seconds, a child in Africa becomes an orphan because of AIDS alone. Every 2.2 seconds, an orphan ages out of their system, whether it be foster system or whatsoever, it, it might be all over this world, a, an orphanage. 
26,000 a year just in the U.S. foster system alone. And the sobering stats of what the devil is able to do with those poor kids without a support system of a family and a God-centered home, 60% of those who age out of their systems who are girls become prostitutes. And 70% of boys who age out of their system become a hardened criminal. And then the suicide rate among orphans is as high as 15% by age age 18, which is much, much higher than the general population. These are cold, hard facts. I don't mean to get up here and just beat you over the head with pictures and and terrible statistics. That's not going to convince anybody about the issue. They're impersonal, and it's hard to feel empathy whenever we're just looking at a bunch of stats. But when you meet a little orphan, like we did in Costa Rica, or when you go to Ethiopia, like we did, to pick up Shepard, actually to meet Shepard, we took two trips, and I'll come back to that in a moment, you're dealing with flesh and blood. You're not dealing just with facts. And our foster system, I don't mean to talk bad about it, kind of hides those flesh and blood experiences from us in this country. When you go to an orphanage in a third world country, that's when you realize, or when Mandy and I realized, this had to be plan A. The realization really sunk in when we first went to see Shepherd and Ebenezer, which is the orphanage where he was raised for the first 17 months before we showed up in Addis the first time. We actually had to take two trips. Ethiopia was not our first choice, and I don't have time to go into all that today, but uh, we had to go and actually see Shepard, spend some time with him, take him to the doctor, look him over, make sure we would accept the referral, as they call it in the adoption world, actually physically and literally adopt him in their court system, and then we had to leave and come back for about a month or two before the U.S. would, um, would allow him to come over and become a U.S. citizen. But as we learned about Shepard, there was no doubt in our minds we were going to take him. Don't, don't let me give you the wrong impression. But as we looked at our little boy and heard about the situation he was going through and how he had been raised for so many months of his life, of his very short life, it was tough. There were things we'd never even thought about, things we'd never seen in little kids here in the U.S., He had had rickets, which is basically because he hadn't been in the sun. He hadn't played around like most little kids would and should have with low vitamin D that had a lot of issues that came up from that. He was hungry and malnourished. He had a distended stomach because of that. He was anemic. He had a misshapen skull. He had sore bones. When we asked his nun that had been caring for him primarily, tell us about Shepard. What's his personality like? What, what are we, what are we uh, going to be bringing home as far as, you know, what, what's Shepard like? She said, he's angry a lot, he throws things and is violent, and he never smiles. As you're thinking and try to put yourself in our shoes, we were going to take this boy. We had to save him from the situation he was in, but it was a terrible situation. And the crazy thing is, is Shepard was doing good. We took him to the doctor and he said, he's in great shape. You got a lot of other kids in Ethiopia, the five million population of orphans in that country alone that were much, much worse off than our boy. Other kids, even in his own orphanage, which was also incredibly clean and and, and very well run, they just had so limited resources. Kids had open sores. There were kids with AIDS and much more. 
We tried to find out how many kids were in the building, and you could see them evading the question because I don't think they wanted us to know. It was a three-story concrete building, and I'm guessing probably 100 kids or more were in that building living with our son for, for um, waiting for a family, and some would never get it. This orphanage was so much better. I don't want to talk poorly about where our son, I don't want you to feel sorry for him, but it's the reality that so many little boys and girls grow up in, and it just breaks your heart. I'm not going to show, I'm not going to use the shock values and show you the pictures, but if you look at some of the orphanages in Russia and Ukraine and see how kids are raised like in chicken houses, basically, it can just overwhelm you. But look at him now, and not to brag on how good of a parents we are, because we've got a lot to learn, but look what just being in a family can do to that experience. Look at what just a love and hug and care and one-on-one attention and a a square meal every day and good uh, hygiene and all the things that we're able to give him over here. Look at what that can do to our boy. You can't say he never smiles anymore. It's one of the happiest little boys you could ever be around. And yet there are more, folks. There are 153 million minus one more out there who need godly parents. And Christianity for all time seemed to have understand that there was a God-given responsibility that we have to care for the orphan. But where are all the adopting families today? Especially in American churches where we're the number one wealth center in this world. You see that orphans are not being adopted in the American church near like you would think they ought to. So I have a few thoughts on this, and I'm not here, and I don't want you to get the wrong impression early on. I'm not here to convince all of y'all to adopt, so don't take that home yet. I've got some other practical ideas, There's, but it definitely should be discussed more, and it should be a common discussion in the church, I believe. But I can't bring up adoption without bringing up, at least in the U.S., um, the pro-life movement. And I don't want to get political, and I don't want to harp on it too much, but in the U.S., it seems like adoption is typically mostly brought up as a reference to an alternative to abortion. And I pray that every woman out there that is considering abortion chooses adoption. That is the right thing, by all means. However, has American churches become satisfied with a pro-life movement that only has to do with an unborn child and the politics that surround that situation without considering the consequences of what if that happened. I don't know if this man's ever been quoted in church or not, but Barney Frank, a U.S. congressman and abortion rights supporter, said that pro-lifers believe that life begins at conception and ends at birth. And I think he was making some, some political points there, so don't take that too Uh, literally, but I think it's something that we as Christians should consider. Are we just pro-life in the womb? Do we think about what if every single mother considering abortion decided, no, I'm going to adopt, and the supply of young children needing a family skyrocketed. That's 40 to 50 million children a year that are aborted worldwide. Would the church be there with the demand? We can't handle the supply now. If that increased by a third, where is the church? There's a statistic that of the half a million children in the U.S. in the foster system, 
120,000 of those are eligible for adoption. If every third church decided someone in our group is going to take on a foster child and adopt them, we'd take care of the issue in the U.S. alone. But it hasn't been done. So how in the world could we take on that increase in supply? We talk so much about stopping abortion, and I think that's right, but are we considering what would, would the responsibility to raise those children in good, godly homes could be and should be on the church? And I can't take, talk about our adoption without talking about where we adopted from. And this component has really brought up a lot of other reasons that I think sometimes this gets tough. Because as you notice, I said there's about half a million kids in the foster system in the U.S. and 153 million orphans worldwide. The issue is much more an outside of the U.S. issue than it is inside, although by all means I am not belittling the situation here in the U.S., but if it's nationalism, patriotism, racism, or as the catchphrase is now, xenophobia, whatever you want to call it, adoption has shown Mandy and I an ugly side to some Christians and some of the methods Satan used to fight the war on the innocent and the, and the orphan. We've literally heard people come to us and say, why did you go over there when there's so much need here? Some of these folks barely knew us. Some of them were family, and this isn't something that just Mandy and I have heard. This is something as we've talked to other adopting families who have adopted in uh, similar fashion from Ethiopia. It's super common to hear that kind of an excuse. And it's shameful, especially to be heard from Christians. I've, I'll try to be nice, and I hope, I hope I'm not too ugly about this because I could get a little ugly. But what if God thought about international adoptions like that? What if God was only a God of adopting in his native land? We talked about at the beginning of the lesson that God traversed many borders, many languages, many intermediaries, many different red tape things to get to me in Nacogdoches, Texas, where I became a child of his a few years back. What has kept me from worshiping Mother Earth or my ancestors or the sun this morning instead of the true and living God. It's because God is a God of international adoptions. He crosses borders. His spirit moves with the wind, crossing every border a man can make, taking his grace, love, and salvation everywhere. And I really think I'm probably preaching to the choir here, but it's something the American church has to realize. We have to think about the value of human life and the value of an orphan life the same here as we do elsewhere, not above. Just because they have a zip code or a, t or a place near us doesn't mean they're somehow more valuable than my son who grew up in Ethiopia, for instance. This is not to prove any point of superiority, so don't take this the wrong way. I'm not saying our international adoption is so much superior to a domestic or anything of the sort, but it is a shame to me that that argument has been used so frequently in the church especially, and it's been so frequently used in ways that quenches the Holy Spirit. And I think this work has been ordained by God, and I beg you, don't do that to us or any other family who gets this call of God to make that risk and take that uh, calling. If you want to think about what the need is here domestically, then work towards adoption domestically and let those who have a special sp spot in their heart internationally do the same.
And there's much more reasons why we, the church in the U.S., don't adopt like we should. One thing we don't talk about enough, it took me 20 years to hear a lesson for the first time in the pulpit about the need for Christian homes for orphans. Let's make that where it's never the case in the future. Isaiah 1 and verse 17, let's bring this down to each and every one of us instead of such a big picture. Isaiah 1, 17 says, Learn to do what is right, promote justice, give the oppressed reason to celebrate, take up the cause of the orphan. That's for everyone. Not all of us can adopt. I get that. As I said earlier, I'm not trying to convince you all to, but we all must take up that cause for the voiceless, for the fatherless, just as God is passionate about it. And I know as I read some of these sobering stats, it's hard to fathom, how do we make a difference? 153 million, half a million just in the U.S. alone. How do we do something about that? And I'm reminded of a parable that's made a, meant a lot to me, a starfish parable. Some of you have probably heard it. One day, an old man was walking on a beach littered with thousands of starfish that had been washed ashore by the high tide. As he walked, he came upon a young boy eagerly throwing those starfish back in the ocean one by one. He was puzzled, and he asked the boy, what are you doing? Without looking up from the task, the boy simply replied, I'm saving these starfish, sir. The old man chuckled aloud, son, there are thousands of starfish and only one of you. What could you possibly do to make a difference? The boy picked up a starfish, gently tossed it in the water, and turned to the man and said, I made a difference to that one. We can do a lot in the life of one or two children who need a forever family. And I pray that the church will take that as a serious thought about how can we address this issue that is so rampant that the devil is taking so much advantage of. So I have a couple of ideas, three actually, that each of us, whether you can adopt or not, need to think about and that I need to think about as well. And I debated this first one, but I've got to say it. If you can adopt, if you're wanting to increase your family, if you're thinking about the future of having kids, if you're young and aren't married yet, think about adoption. It's a glorious picture of God and what he's done for us, and I think it's a great example, and it's a great way to further his gospel in so many places. It has to be promoted, and unfortunately, I believe it has not been. There's so many risks. There's so many costs. I went through all those as well. Mandy and I went through a lot of heartache about how are we going to afford this? Well, it's not as expensive as most would think, for one thing. Um, most people spend more on a car than they do an adoption. So it's about priorities in a lot of ways. But it's amazing, even in Mandy and I's case, when we started this five or six years ago, we weren't rolling in money. We were, we were struggling to make our ends meet. And it was pretty amazing how from time to time, God would just make things happen that needed to happen. One of our first ideas was let's have an adoption uh, fundraiser at a garage sale. We went out to the Denman's storage buildings and had a little garage sale. We needed, I don't remember the exact dollar amount, but we had a certain dollar amount we needed to send to our home study group that was, was making sure we were ready to adopt. And it was tight that month. To the dollar, literally, we got what we needed out of that garage sale. I'm not making that up. It's amazing. God has shown himself so much through this process, and if for nothing else, just spend some time, and I'm sure you'll hear that with many other adoptive parents as well. There's a waiting period that is terrible. Four years from when we started deciding we would adopt to the end, it was tough. It tried our faith. There were a lot of risks. Some folks who were trying to adopt from Ethiopia after us 
have been stuck in limbo ever since. I don't want to sugarcoat this. It's a tough call to answer the call of adoption, but I pray that you'll consider it because it's worthy and it will change your life, I promise you. If you're not called to adopt, that's okay. Again, I'm not here to beat you over the head and make you feel like that's got to be something you do, but there are ways you can support. Maybe there's a young family that wants to adopt that can't afford it. Maybe you're the answer to that. There are support groups. There are missions that you can go on to support orphan homes and orphanages. There are nonprofit groups that give out interest-free loans to adopting families and financial assistance. We started the Foster Parent Night Out here locally for this very issue, and we're having our next event on November 18th. I hope you'll help join us in that regard. And then this one might seem a little strange, but what about parental training? The better families are out there, the more that families are godly and willing to raise a kid in the Lord, the less adoptions will be needed if we have families ready for that task. Mentors, there are all sorts of ways that indirectly, I think, affect the issue we're talking about today. And then finally, like I'm doing today, I hope you'll recognize your own adoption story this isn't about the Geralds. This isn't about what happened in Ethiopia with Shepherd. But again, those things have informed a greater story that's going on that's happened to each and every one of you that is part of the heavenly family, the forever family of God. You've been adopted as a son and daughter. You're an heir and a joint heir with Jesus Christ to all the riches that are there. We need to share that. We need to recognize that. We need to talk about this situation and this uh, wonderful blessing that we have more and more. As again, I said earlier, let's not make it where everyone has to wait so many years before they hear this idea in a class or in a sermon. Encourage would-be adoptive families to adopt. Don't get in their face about why you're doing it this way. Let's have an encouraging atmosphere around folks that would like to add to their family through adoption. Encourage would-be aborting mothers to adopt their children out if that's the last resort, but do it lovingly. And there's a lot of bad examples about folks doing it the opposite. And educate yourself further on the orphan situation. I wanted to do this as close to November 13th as I could. That's an annual event called Orphan Sunday, and I encourage you to go look that up online and to learn about that event. There's a lot of education that needs to be out there for folks to realize the need. So as we wrap up our thoughts today, I'll invite the gentleman helping with communion to go ahead and, and make your way out. As I've considered the cost for my adoption, and as I compared the cost that we went through in adopting Shepherd, it's affected a lot of how I view God, and it's changed my vision of, of how I view my adoption in Jesus Christ, as I've shared quite, uh, quite a bit this morning. And it, something that took me several months after bringing Shepherd home happened actually in this building during this time of communion, and I asked that we could commune after the sermon because I felt like it fit very well today. As I considered how tough it was for Mandy, we had a lot of things, a lot of costs, not just financial, that we had to go through. This is not playing very nice with me today, sorry. Um, a lot of things we had to go through that felt like they were very steep costs. But when we considered how our God adopted us, and as we considered a cost that he went through for our adoption, it all started to seem like I was whining for nothing. God has been through everything that Manny and I have been through and infinitely timed more. He's been through pain and suffering and risks and 
all kinds of heartache because of the adoption that he gave each and every one of us. And a few months after we brought Shepherd home, as I was sitting about to commune and take of the uh, body and blood of Jesus, I started to think about that interim time. I told you other, earlier we had about a month and a half between when we went to Ethiopia and legally adopted Shepherd. We met our son, and we saw him in all that tough situation he was in, and we had to leave him. And that month and a half, we could have been waiting longer. We didn't know how long it would be. That was one of the toughest time frames that Manny and I have been in in our entire life. Knowing that the, the pain he was going through, the hunger he was going through, the need for a love and a hug and a kiss and just what all we could offer him in his home here where he should be, he wasn't there. He couldn't be there. And it killed us. And then I think about God. He came to this earth, and he illegally adopted us. And he made it official, and he sees what pain and suffering and heartache and lack of real food and lack of real nourishment that we need as he had to leave us here. I don't understand why, but for 2,000 years, he has been in our forever home where he wants us to be, and he aches for us to be there just like Mandy and I ached for Shepherd to be over here, but so much more so. And so that experience, even though I hated it, and even though every second I wished it would end, it gave me a perspective I probably would have never had on how God yearns and groans for us to be with him. I pray that as you think about the cost paid for your adoption today, that you'll think about how God has experienced the pain and suffering of what it cost for us to be his children. We're going to partake of this bread at this time, which reminds us of his body broken. Let's pray as we take a moment. Oh God, you are so good, and we praise you and thank you for our adoption in Jesus Christ. We were outsiders, we deserved nothing, but yet you made us a part of a kingdom of, in, of unimaginable riches, and you have made us part of your family and you have given us a forever home. And we praise you for that, and we love you, but we realize that came at such an awful cost. And Lord, we pray as we partake of this bread that we'll think about the body of Jesus and the cost that that was for you and for him, for us to be your children. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
table fellowship is a family thing, and it's a family activity, isn't it? This is a picture that we took in a, one of the best memories of my life of taking Shepard to the hotel after we uh, were able to take him home uh, our last trip. And this is one of the most beautiful memories of building a bond, him learning to trust us as we fed him, and as we spent, at least most of us, Mandy and, Sh and Shepard and I, spent a time there around that table. And I'm reminded of that as I, I'm around this table figuratively with all of you, with my adopted brothers and sisters in Jesus, connected to our Father by His Spirit. And how much greater this meal is going to be in heaven. And Jesus prayed for that and, and told us about how this is going to be such a special thing to partake of when we're all together in our forever home with God and all the saints. Let's think about that. Let's make this meal special as we commune and as we're connected in fellowship in Jesus Christ. Pray with me. Lord and Savior, you are so amazing. You have given it all so that we might be children of yours. We thank you for the blood that washes us whiter than snow, and we pray that we'll remember that and partake of this blood and this fruit of the vine in a way that would help us better understand you and understand the cost paid for our souls. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to do the collection in a few minutes after I conclude and have an invitation. I want to conclude now thanking you for the chance for me to share this. I hope I haven't browbeat you too hard. I'd, I want you to understand what we've seen in our heart as we've seen this orphan crisis in this world and realize something that seems to have been hidden to the church, that there is a crisis and there is a group that needs an advocate. And I think the church could be that advocate and should be that advocate because our God sure is. 
I want you to, again, don't see us on a pedestal. Make this about your adoption story, not our adoption story. Or in another way, this is our collective adoption story. So as you look at Shepherd and you think about how great it is now compared to where he was, don't talk about how lucky he is. Let's talk about how lucky we all are to have been adopted in so much a greater way than that example is. We appreciate y'all. Y'all have been very kind to us. Y'all have been uh, a family to us during some of that tough time. Some of you might not have realized what we were going through, and we didn't realize what we were going through in many ways. But I hope through this example and through this testimony that I've given you today that you'll be able to see your own adoption story and give God the praise and better appreciate his grace and the gospel he's given us. God isn't a God of adoption. And if you've not been adopted into his family, he wants you as his family. Maybe you don't know what a good dad really looks like. Maybe you had a crummy dad on this earth, or maybe you didn't have a dad at all. He is the example. He will never let you down. He wants you to see what a good father looks like. And we have a group of adopted orphans here who are willing to sit with you and show you what it takes for you to have your own gotcha day. But if you're part of the family already and you're already adopted, and need reconciliation, I want to show you a, a welcome party that we got at our house when we came in from the airport. One of the most special, again, moments of my life was when we drove up to our house and saw so many of you in this room there greeting Shepherd and greeting us and welcoming him to his forever home. There's the same kind of greeting group here in this church for you. If you need that reconciliation, if you need that adoption, come forward as we stand and sing. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Thou art the potter, I am the clay. Mold me and make me after thy will, while I am waiting, yielded and still. Have thine own way, Lord, have thine own way. Search me and try me, Master, today. Whiter than snow, Lord, wash me just now, as in thy presence humbly I bow. Have thine 